How are we doing, folks? It's Matt Whitmore, and this is, of course, Fit Food Radio, but I'm sure you knew that because you clicked on it. And we are episode number 37. To my left is a beautiful young lady known to you and me as Keris Marsden. Wagwan Keris. Good morning. It is a good morning. We are in our new crib. That's 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 a bit of news, isn't it? We've been posting on Facebook about our move to Stratford-upon-Avon and it's happening, it's happening, but we are now in it. Moved, done, dusted. It feels amazing, doesn't it? To have a house. (laughs) Yeah, I I keep referring to it as a flat, though. Like, oh, shall I see you back at the flat? Because we're just so used to it. Yeah, we have a house now. But it's not our house. We're. It's not our house. It's someone else's house (laughs) that we happen to be habitating. But it's very nice. (laughs) Is that even a word? Habitating. Habiting. Habiting. (laughs) (laughs) Habiting. But it's weird, though, because with these podcasts, because we've had like a ton of guests on and we pre-record a load of them, a lot of the times when we talk about this stuff, it's kind of, it's old news. But, yeah, by the time this but we're, goes But we're out, talking be... about it like it's only just <laughs> happening. So by the time people listen to this... This podcast might go out about Christmas, I think. They'll be like, yeah, I knew that though. <laughs> you moved in ages ago, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so guys, um, we've had some awesome guests on the show, um, as I'm sure you'll agree. Um, so it's been a while since Keris and I have done our own episode, so to speak. Um, so do forgive us if we are a little bit all over the place with what we've covered in the past and... The stuff we've been posting on social media, such as the uh, the house move, etc. But we are, of course, going to get some more epic guests on the show. But we decided, or should I say, Keris decided to dedicate this episode to uh, her newfound learnings. Um, <laughs> as you know, Keris is the geek out of the two of us. I'm the pretty one, and I'm only joking. You're, you're, you're gorgeous, and she's been recently getting her geek on, learning as she always does. This girl's brain is amazing. And you were at a, uh, a, was it a gut function, dysbiosis and mental health conference, is that correct? It is. Um, so that was um, this weekend just gone. I attended this conference in London. And the reason I said It to may you, not be the weekend just gone. No. <laughs> no the reason I said to you, we have to podcast about the findings is because in the summer I went to one on genetic testing, which was phenomenal. And I had pages and pages of notes. But when we actually came to do a podcast on it, God, I had to sit and almost revise it. And I don't even think we ever did it in the end because I said, no, 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 I need to go reread these notes. And then we got busy and I didn't actually ever do the podcast. And I ha- we have had some requests to do one. I also went to one uh, conference on endurance health and there was quite a lot of discussion on paleo diet for endurance, mm-hmm. um, nutrition. And also there was some referral to women's health and women's monthly cycles and training and nutrition. So I am going to do that as well. But I thought... Um, Let's do the, the the gut function and mental health one first, because otherwise I'll have to re- like reread and reread. Whilst it's everything. fresh. Yeah, yeah, because it's easier to talk about. And what's funny is I did actually speak to other nutritionists about this because you learn so much in two days and then you feel like you have to go away and keep keep referring to those notes, which everyone does. But sometimes I hear people speak on podcasts and at conferences and I'm like, well, how can they retain all this information? But the secret is everyone goes away and revises before they present. And that's... Um, of course they I, do. I asked lecturers at the college about this because I'm like, how can you remember, like... Some don't. I think some naturally are very no, you know, but, biochemical uh, or in the way that they think they even, know chemistry very well. But. Yeah, but even so, I still think people like a little refresh. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I, I remember I, when I went to Phil Learney's uh, seminar this year. Um, his one on um, this was the one on advanced um, nutritional strategies, etc. And I remember him making a point at the beginning of saying, <laughs> "Was that in the title, etc.?" <laughs> etc. and that. Yeah. Nutritional and strategies and that. <laughs> and he even said at the beginning, he was like, when I was going over my slides again and making sure everything was right last night, and I remember thinking, wow, like you are 
you are normal. Yeah, you are yeah. human, <laughs> just like everybody else. Like, because because I think people do assume. Yeah. Oh, you know, I don't get wrong. These people. Yeah, yeah. How do you keep it there fresh all the time? But I think it's only natural that you know there's only so much information your you brain can. can Exactly. In such a short space. I mean, I said, I just said to you, in this podcast, I've got my, my notes here, and I thought, I said to you, do you think it sounds bad if, if people can hear me turning the page and I'm rereading the notes? But I might be reading the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably will be. <laughs> <laughs> well, so waffle away. Yeah, you, you crack on. But there were some points in there, there's, there's some amazing stuff that I will remember and recite to everyone that I come across in the next few weeks, annoying everyone with this these new facts and information. But there is some stuff that, you know, I... I I just want to make sure I cover and so I am just going to page turn and you're going to hear me going back because also it was such an so many topics were covered because mental health is obviously um it, it there was a lot of focus on on um things like ADHD so attention um oh god I always forget the two but there's attention deficit disorder um and then there's ADHD sorry as well and then there's ADD anyway and autism and Asperger's and then it went on to sort of diseases of uh, more of adulthood so Parkinson's um and Alzheimer's disease yeah I'm going to go back and cover all of it because it's the, there's so much that's relevant to, to everyone there that you know in fact but the the end message of the whole thing was guess what where do you go back to treat all this stuff the gut indeed but more so than I ever realized like you know, I know that the, the gut is the foundation of the immune system and a lot of these disorders are um, through sort of immune dysfunction. So mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense. But the way that you finally get your head around how stuff that's going on in the gut just gets systemic in the body yeah. and causes the body to just start attacking its own organs and things, which is what autoimmunity is, but attacking the brain. And that's where we get these um, mental health issues, which just just phenomenal. And the stories of some of the practitioners, um, I think that one of the most remarkable was a woman who being treated who just out of the blue decided that she wanted to kill her own child and actually got her got sent herself down to the hospital and, and got herself wow. sectioned and said you know I, I i'm having these really extreme thoughts actually the way that they um that she was treated in the end was for i think that one was a systemic um, fungal infection and when they treated her with antifungals um basically she returned to sort of normal and passed all of the, the tests. I know. So it's <laughs> it really a doctor, um, William Shaw, who came from America, and he talked about different diseases, but he talked about three different types of infections that you can have. And there was a big, big focus on fungal infections mm-hmm. and the effect that they can have. And um, we've talked a bit before about once... Um, so one of the things about candida is, um, and you know this from, you know, suffering yourself with infections, is... They grow these little um, fingers, like they're called um, hyphae. And these can basically, they have like enzymes on the end, so they can start to almost digest human tissue. Hyphae? Hyphae. That sounds like the kind of way like Kim Kardashian would say high five. Well, do you know? Hyphae. Hyphae. When I read it, I thought it was was high five. I was like, oh, it's like the the candida high fives. (laughs) What, the fingers? (laughs) Never mind. Anyway, (laughs) this hyphae can basically puncture through the gut wall. So generally we'll start in the gut, obviously, which we know. Um, And then it can puncture the gut wall and then the spores and the the candida can then get... can go systemic so it can get into the bloodstream <clears throat> and it's from there that um, so that's what systemic means that goes it, once all it's in through the, the blood body, and yeah. carry down the body right yeah and so one of the the issues is a lot of the treatments that a doctor might prescribe for a fungal infection is all about they're addressing the gut yeah so um 
Nystatin is a common treatment for fungal infections, skin infections, toenail infections, but that will only clear candida or fungal infections in the gut. Right. Um, it won't treat it systemically. Um, actually, one of the best ways to treat it systemically is through natural antifungals and foods, because, na- of course, they're going to be absorbed yeah. into the bloodstream. So um, I will cover those again, but things like eating lots of garlic and onion um, can be really helpful for suppressing a, a, the systemic uh, yeast infection, right. infection. So um, that was just one thing that was really interesting because if you remember when I'd been to a, another conference on, on brain health, they were saying that the barrier for the gut looks exactly the same as the barrier to the brain. So if something can get into the body, yeah, obviously it can get into the brain. And that's when we start to get these uh, mental health issues because, you know, that barrier is there for a reason. It keeps out toxins, it keeps out poisons. But if things are able to permeate that barrier and get into the brain, then we get all sorts of immune responses and inflammation in the brain. And that's essentially where a lot of these things like um, everything from schizophrenia was, was mentioned. Because the membranes of the cell, the outer layer of the cells in the brain are being attacked by um, by either these bacterial infections or these fungal infections. Yeah. Um, and so the brain almost, um, like schizophrenia, you get things like hallucinations and it's just almost the brain is totally confused by, by what's actually reality and what isn't. Right. So that's, um, j- again, just, just fascinating to think that that would never have been treated that way years ago. You know, they would never have looked at going back to the gut and thinking, is there some sort of infection that's then led to an infection of the brain? Um, but that's that was just... Um, that's where the studies are looking at now. And the, the science is, um, what's fascinating is they were tracking, um, so with children they were looking at things like autism and um, treatment with antifungals. And uh, um, again, the, the outcomes of the studies are absolutely amazing in terms of symptoms and, and behaviours that are associated with autism, um, decreasing with the treatment of yeah, antifungals. Yeah. Um, but the the one thing, the, the, the one that he started with, which I'll go, um, I'll kick off with, was... Um, basically a bacterial infection that you can get called uh, clostridia. And so the way that you can be tested for these things is either you have a stool test done, which um, will look at different types of bacteria and fungal infections, um, you know, in your stool. Yeah. Or if you remember, I mean, you... It's always great fun doing a stool test. Yeah. <laughs> Love them. <laughs> Do you know, I actually had someone mention the other day that they weren't that keen on doing one, and I just thought, maybe it's just because I get really excited about knowing things about my body. It just never even really bothered me. I just cracked on with it. But well, yeah. yeah, but, you know, there's there's nothing it pleasant about fun, the experience. No, but you kicked up a massive fuss, right? And you were like, I think I'm going to need help, <laughs> which you, there was no you, way you I was going to do. essentially, like, poo into a tray. Yeah, basically. And then... And send it up. Spoon out a few samples, <laughs> like, like it's only a small tray. But it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's only a small tray. Small tray for for you, maybe not for most people. It was highly adequate for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so basically, what you can do is this can save your life. Like I've really firmly believed this on because yeah, it also looks a serious it. matter. I shouldn't, I shouldn't <laughs> no, joke. You shouldn't joke. <laughs> not about poo. So, yeah, you can basically have a, a comprehensive digestive stool analysis done, which is, as you're completely right, you basically um, poo into a tray for three days and, and then put it in test tubes and send it off to a lab. So it can be done at home. You don't need to be anywhere like London to have this special test done. Um, and it's something that we've both done. And interesting, when I'm at the conference and they're talking about bacterial infections, the first thing I do is, is go back to our tests and get them up and start yeah. interpreting them. Um, and yours in particular, you had um, you had a different you had a bacterial infection, so you didn't have any of the ones that were mentioned. 
But other thing that was um, discussed was you can clear, as I mentioned, you can clear the gut. Your gut didn't come up with any fungal infection. That's good. Um, <laughs> but you have skin fungal infections, which we see that these rashes that look very much like you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're like now, thanks now, for that. Now you all know. <laughs> and you have toenail infections, so yes. we know that you. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> we know that you have these infections, but they didn't come up on your stool test. But interestingly, the other test that was mentioned as hugely effective in identifying more systemic yeast infections was an organic acids test, which you also had done. Hmm. Uh, many moons ago. There's much I haven't done. No. <laughs> not, not with you, anyway. Not no. with you on the, on the scene. <laughs> and that was where your... So what an organic acids test is measuring, that's a urine test that you do, and it's looking at the, the byproducts of um, sort of um, bacteria and yeast and um, other infections that you might have so they yeah. they produce products so all of these bugs that, that can exist in the gut or in the body will um will ferment things and um uh, produce chemicals and toxins which can be measured in the urine yeah and you have really high levels of um a byproduct of, of a, a systemic yeast infection in yours so there was definitely a need for some sort of antifungal treatment. Yeah. So um, what would be interesting is, um, obviously, I come back and immediately have an antifungal plan for you, but um, that, that then you retest using the organic. I think the organic acids tests would be a bit more accurate when it comes to yeast. But interestingly, I did ask the um, the doctor about you. I went over and spoke because you've tried so much stuff. You've tried. You didn't. You didn't ask about me by name, though, did you? No. Like, uh, <laughs> no. A friend of mine. <laughs> someone I know. I know somebody. Uh, no, what I mentioned was that you had tried a lot through nutrition, through natural antifungals, and you've tried medications. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, um, I've really gone off track because I wanted to cover the clostridia. Um, stuff first but we'll go on to um, candida and, and fungal infections he said that the nystatin which is prescribed uh, commonly by doctors is a great way of clearing it in the gut and actually he believes is uh, that there's hardly any side effects to taking that long term Right. and he mentioned cases he's worked with who've taken nystatin for 25 years with no side effects. Straight. No side effects. Because they normally recommend breaking from it a little bit, don't they? Some, well, some doctors have done when I've spoke to them. Really? Yeah. It's the dosage that he was sort of saying was more important. Right. So for someone like you, who's saying going with a high dose, um, he said that nystatin would be helpful with a toenail infection, possibly followed by a more stronger um, antifungal that, that treats it systemically, which is um, ketoconazole or fluconazole. Now, they are the ones that are quite... Fluconazole? Yeah. I've never heard of that one. Um, I think ketoconazole is normally more effective and, and likely to be prescribed. Because I've tried that. Yeah, and that one you do have to do um, 7 to 10 days on and then break because it's actually really aggressive on the liver. Very potent. Yeah, and also can um, lower white blood cell counts, so... It's not something ideally you want to be putting in your body. And I always like the thought of going down the natural route. Um, but Naturally. Yeah. But then there, I think there are, I mean, he was sort of saying for some strains of fungal infection, you've, you've probably got to hit it a bit harder and support the body as you're doing it. Um, well, that's the thing as well. Obviously, it's all well and good taking these things, but, you know, you, you've got to make sure that nutritionally you are doing, you know, making the right decisions, haven't you? No, completely. So if you were... Um, so no ice cream binges? No, no, no. I mean, you do... The, we spoke to Paul Jaminade, didn't we, on the, the it'll be podcast 34, 34 and yeah. he was t- saying he doesn't really agree with the candida diet, mm-hmm. um, which is a very, very low-carb diet, because, again, that would lower... White blood cells need glucose to function. Yeah. So imagine if you're taking something like an antifungal drug 
and then doing a low-carb diet, there's a chance that your immune system become really, really suppressed. And interestingly, what was mentioned was often people will treat fungal infections and the treatments will then make them more predisposed to get a bacterial infection. Wow. So you may okay. never ever feel as well as you should because you've let something else thrive. Would you, I, I done low-carb, didn't I, for just under, just shy of three months. Yeah, you did. And I yeah. felt like crap yeah. the entire time, but I, this was part of my... You were angry at me. Anti-candida protocol. Yeah. Admittedly, I got quite lean, which was, which was one plus, because <laughs> um, people were complimenting me on that, but I felt horrendous. No energy, you know, certainly no improvement in... Well, that was your main thing. You were like, all oh, this work, and there is no difference to the infections. So yeah. if anything... Because that was the main reason I was doing it. Like, I wasn't doing it for aesthetics. I was doing it to get rid of... Yeah. If anything, it spread, didn't it? It, yeah. it spread to a new toenail, Got which you were aggressive. like stomping around the house, shouting at me, going, how is this working? <laughs> and it wasn't. And yeah, I mean, I'd imagine part of that was um, due to the fact that there was, we were just hammering your immune system with both natural antifungals and you were doing ketoconazole as well. Um, your GP was actually very good at prescribing the different medications yeah. that were suggested by the tests that we ran. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't take, uh, you know, have the desired effect. So, um, yeah, I mean, the other thing that was mentioned, I'm just trying to, um, now you can hear me turning my pages. Um, one interesting thing was uh, xylitol was mentioned for, um, often with candida, it can also, um, it affects the throat. So you often hear about people having oral thrush. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of mention of xylitol being really helpful. Yeah. So eating and using xylitol mouthwash, toothpaste, chewing gum, xylitol gum, I think it was, um, in between meals to really help um sort of it, it has like a it's really good for dental health it's been endorsed by the dental association now has it protecting teeth but also for having sort of a very it must be some sort of antifungal or antibacterial effect as well right um you you quite like having it in your tea don't you now i do <laughs> so and we have xylitol mints in between meals you can now get peppersmith uh, mints pretty much everywhere aren't oh, yeah, they, they use xylitol yeah and you get those in wh smith and holland and barrett so having the xylitol mints was something that i thought would be that you quite enjoy, you'd like that. Um, but in terms of things that, um, if we, if you allow um, candida or sort of any yeast infection to exist long term, if you ignore the signs of things like thrush, toenail infections, rashes, sometimes there aren't any necessarily physical symptoms. Yeah. Uh, but often things like um, sugar cravings are mentioned. So people uh, do who do have issues with candida often say that it's almost an insatiable sugar craving. Yeah. Um, there's been anecdotal stories of people sort of going out in the middle of the night to go to the petrol garage to get chocolate and sweets and you know like it's an absolute need this is the candida wanting the sugar it feeds on sugar so these these were the diseases that were listed so we had schizophrenia alzheimer's uh, systemic lupus fibromyalgia chronic fatigue was a big one um hiv and often it's believed that um hiv sufferers um what actually sort of ends up very sadly leading to death with hiv can be that candida is so systemic it's completely suppressed the immune system as well as the immune suppressing drugs they're taking which Mm. um one thing to mention about candida is it's an opportunistic infection so if you are on any medications that will lower the immune system and taking antibiotics is of course um something that's that everyone does at some point in their life then candida will possibly will will seize that opportunity to thrive can candida candida however you want to pronounce it. Candida. Candida. <laughs> um, it is, it's, 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 everyone, it's there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, anyway. it's meant to exist in the gut. Yeah. And it's funny because um, 
I'll just mention a quick home test you can do in a second, but I was just looking online, I was watching this thing about a home testing that you can do, and it was um, an American nutritionist who was going, um, it's like this thing in our gut that we don't want there, we want to get rid of it, it's not, like everyone, you should have healthy levels of candida. Yeah. And the, But the best sort of um, explanation I ever heard was uh, Natasha, Dr. Ka- Natasha Campbell McBride, who um, came up with the GAPS diet. She's mm-hmm. an amazing doctor um, whose son had autism, and so she did a lot of research in this field. Um, and GAPS diet is very much like specific carbohydrate diet. It's, very, it's, a, it's a gut diet that's designed to help rebuild you after something like a candida infection or you know, bacterial infection. And she said, the thing with candida is, um, uh, if you think of your probiotics as like a gardener looking right. after a garden... Yeah, and uh, and candida's like the weeds, and if the gardener goes on holiday, so if you take antibiotics, for example, and you kill off all your probiotics, your good bacteria, yeah, um, if the gardener goes away, then the weeds are just going to thrive and just overgrow the whole garden. So that's a that's an incredibly good example. <laughs> that, that's her, not me. Well, I knew, <laughs> I knew it weren't you. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it's important if you have a course of if you take antibiotics. Um, that you follow it with some probiotics and some fermented foods. And the spit test um, is the home test that you can do for candida. I haven't looked at the science behind this, but some other nutritionists on this course mentioned it. I think I'd always go down the route of symptoms, so or a gut test, a stool test, or an organic acid urine test to mm-hmm. really know what sort of infection we were dealing with. But there's this idea that you can, and um, you're probably going to do this tomorrow now, when you wake up in the morning, before you do anything, brush your teeth or anything, you spit into a glass of water, um, so get a decent-sized glass of water. And then over the next 40 minutes, as you're basically getting dressed, brushing your teeth, whatever, you see what happens to the spit. Now, if the spit sinks or if it grows legs there's a chance that you have a, a fungal infection or yeast really? infection. If it, sit, if it floats on top of the water for 40 minutes, then you don't. I'm so sceptical of anything that's that black or white because I just See, I my, don't think we even know enough yeah. about these infections to know. But it might just be a, a place to start. You'd want to keep that glass of water well out of reach as well. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was in the house, I'd call. I'm really thirsty. I'm really thirsty. <laughs> oh, look, it's a full glass of water there. <laughs> so, yeah, and you do it apparently for like... Three five, six days run in and see. Uh, maybe you should do it and feedback to everyone what the results are. Maybe we should all do it and see. And then maybe we should do the stool test and the organic acid urine test and compare all three and see what happens. But well, um, <laughs> should, we, yeah. should we set up a Facebook group for this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what were the results of your daily. test? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the other things that were listed so um, were colitis, depression, PMS, which I didn't know that candida... Um, actually um, can lead to higher levels of estrogen. So remember we've talked about issues with estrogen dominance like PMT, PMS, fibroids, endometriosis, um, you know, even the sort of hormonal cancers, candida can actually add to these by, it's a bit more, it's complex how it it works, but it can lead to higher levels of of estrogen within the body, which again, as a guy, you don't really want to have. Multiple sclerosis, interesting, which I'll cover in a second. Interstitial cystitis, seizures, irritable bowel, and cancer. And again, because if you think of with cancer, um, we've talked about this before, um, what can often lead um, people to to die from, from cancer isn't necessarily the cancer itself, it's the candida. 
um, infections and, and commonly people on chemotherapy start to get oral thrush and other um, you know signs of, of systemic fungal infection incredibly the, sad the immune yeah. system being the suppressed the immune system yeah. is so low that they can't fight that infection and there was an, uh, the doctor mentioned actually people having intravenous antifungals um, during chemotherapy and there's been quite a lot of, su- lot of success there mm-hmm. um, he did mention that, again nystatin should never be given intravenously it's very dangerous right it only should be taken orally and he said one of the issues is that doctors don't really know the the sort of antifungal um drugs well enough to start prescribing them alongside chemotherapy yeah so this would all be a very much you know i'd imagine it's still in trial phase and um you're unlikely to be offered this in you know by your oncologist um but there is a lot you can do um you know, through nutrition in this field, in that, um, so sort of natural antifungal foods, as I mentioned earlier, you've got things like your onions and garlic. Um, yeah. Coconut oil is absolutely amazing. You know, it's antifungal, um, antibacterial, antimicrobial properties. So it's sort of a kill all um, coconut oil. So taking that throughout the day, mm-hmm. um, again, especially if you have things like, um, you know, HIV, cancer, I strongly think that this could be, you know, really really helpful and um for alzheimer's it's actually been tested it's in early phases as to what the effects of taking the medium train type triglycerides from coconut oil are um the downside to it there's not there's no money in a lot of this yeah. so you're never going to hear much about it yeah. because it's all natural uh one thing i should mention him here i'll do the list of i'll go through i mean you you will know most of them but so natural antifungals would be um coconut oil garlic we've mentioned oregano which you've done some courses on yeah um i always think with you we never go long enough with the treatment and something comes up like we go and travel or something in the middle which is incredibly immune suppressing and you get worse symptoms and then you're like i'm done with this well i remember starting one was it last year or the year before yeah and it was like you flew to vegas in the middle of it yeah and it was like that was so hard and i did Fall off the wagon. A, bit. <laughs> a glass of wine, like the worst thing you could probably have. Wine and a, a bit of chocolate. Actually, just you've reminded me, there was one case talked about, uh, several cases actually, where with kids with behavioural disorders like autism and um, ADHD, where parents have commented on how their breath smells of baking bread. That's how bad the yeast infection is. The kid's breath? Smells of baking bread. I know, can you wow. imagine? Um, okay. Other antifungals, there is, uh, I think there was a product mentioned called Candex, which is a combination of 12 different antifungals. Um, aloe vera taken orally can help with um, oral thrush. And then you've got things like Powdarco, Golden Seal, um, Tannel Bite, which again came up on a lot of the tests we ran with you, has been really effective at suppressing um, fungal infections. And they are like um, a component of plants known as tannins can help bind to, I would imagine it's they bind to the 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 yeast and basically help to carry it out of the body um tea is a really good source dark chocolate is a really good source of tannins <laughs> wine but i wouldn't recommend wine um obviously because you don't want to have any alcohol when you've got a yeast infection uh, but drinking really strong black or green tea in between meals would be really really helpful as well um and then i think i've covered like all the um prescriptive um antifungals i would say you really should work with a practitioner on this I, I get a lot of emails from people self-treating and instantly I've had quite a lot of emails recently where people email me a bit of health history and symptoms and sort of go what would what would you suggest now and I completely understand why they're not approaching on the basis of I'm looking for 
you know, a naturopath or anything to help yeah. me. I just I just want your opinion or your advice because they've already tried so much and some of them have already seen a lot of nutritionists and practitioners and got nowhere. Yeah. And um but one thing I did want to say is it's really hard to go back on an email and say, Oh, you just you're just doing that wrong. You know, you just need to stop eating that and eat this, you know. It's yeah, so yeah. You, you I think don't think people have quite got their head around how complex the body is and how it could be such a combination of factors and more often than not people are focusing in my mind too much on the nutrition mm-hmm. because they often come to us through through gyms personal trainers paleo primal so they already know a lot and they already have their nutrition in a really good place yeah compared to um you know sort of a standard western diet of cereal for breakfast and you know yeah. sandwich for lunch so they already have done a lot of good stuff but it's not working and um it could be so many other things that are you know it could be just a, a a bacterial infection in the gut, which is just driving this, which we would never know necessarily unless we can go by symptoms, but we would, you know, a stool test would really be yeah. an answer to that. What was interesting was, you know, this guy was saying, if it's a bacterial infection, it's treated very differently to a fungal infection. And certain foods will make one worse and the other better. And things. Mm-hmm. So actually knowing what is going on in the gut is so much more active and, and useful. Yeah. I just want to say to the people that email me, when I've been going back and saying, do you know what, I do, you do really need to test for this. It's not me trying to sell my one-to-one services. Yeah. It's just that if I was to offer any advice, I'd be guessing. Yeah. And yes, it'd be an educated guess, but it could make you feel a lot worse, and yeah. then you'd completely lose faith in me. <laughs> so, in that's fact, a really you might, good point, that. you'd lose faith in all nutritionists. And it's one thing that's a shame is not everyone can afford the test. So sometimes we, you do have to go by symptoms. And it is a case of, and what any nutritionist ever says, you're doing, it's, it's basically trial and, um, trial and error. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, when, you know, when anyone works with a trainer, nutritionist, whatever it may be, something they need to get in their head from, from pretty much the off is that it's rarely a case of, oh, try this, that works, great, job done. It's, it is normally a case of trying something, assessing, adapting, yeah. seeing how you get on with there, and then changing it again. You know, it is a journey, isn't it, ultimately? And, Absolutely. And, and, and in some instances, it's it's a lot more complex. You know, some people are really straightforward, and it just it's, it's it little, little minor changes here and there, whereas other people, it is a complex situation that requires, you know, some serious input and... and, and longer duration well what was also really interesting was he uh one of the the dr william shaw just a phenomenal guy he's really great he mentioned that um with some things um some infections like a a streptococcus infection for example (laughs) (laughs) so with the streptococcus there was a certain strain that he said could create um a bit of an autoimmune response in the body in that when your body develops antibodies so mm. that's your body's immune defense towards the streptococcus infection um, you keep saying it now the, the streptococcus <laughs> looks a bit like tissue on the heart so when your body um launches this army against streptococcus it's shut up <laughs> it, also, it also starts to attack the tissues on the heart so you actually start, ah, okay. um, this could be, you know, sort of a cause behind basically cardiovascular issues. Even if you kill off the streptococcus infection, the antibodies are still in the body. So the autoimmune response can continue for years. And how wow. dangerous is that, that your body is attacking, you know, like the valves of the heart? Jeez. It's really, really frightening. Um, so again, you start with the gut and then you follow an immune calming diet, so um, which I'll talk about in a second. But some big things that were mentioned were you lower allergenic foods in your nutrition. Gluten and wheat were the top and dairy was also up there. Somebody asked the most amazing question on this course that 
made me laugh because I thought it's the sort of question that we all want to know, but no one ever dares ask, and someone asked it. Go on. Why didn't Jesus get bloated with all that bread and wine? <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought, like, you know, they were saying, like, these foods have existed for years. Why are we suddenly all intolerant to, like, these foods? And it was just brilliant. But And the answer was amazing, and it was all to do with the way these foods are now processed. It wasn't actually down to the way, you know, people are saying, oh, the wheat's different to how it used to be. Um, it's more... Uh, Phil only mentioned this, didn't he? Yeah. It's how the bread is made, yeah, yeah. these rapid fermentation processes. Everything's been sped up now. Absolutely. Like, even wine, I'm sure if you looked into it, wine's probably manufactured one-tenth of the rate it would have been manufactured before in terms of time-wise. Oh, no, absolutely. You know when you think mean? of the chemicals, even my dad noticed this when um, he, you know, he's always liked a bit of red wine and now he just has it very occasionally. And he said, every time I open a bottle, all I can smell is chemicals. And it's the, the sulfites that you, they use as a preservative, yeah. which are now causing so many issues for people. Well, do you remember when we, was, we went out for dinner uh, some time ago and we both said that the, the wine tasted like uh, washing up and it weren't a bloody cheap wine. I mean, it wasn't ridiculously expensive yeah. because we don't really believe in spending a fortune on wine, but it wasn't the cheapest on the menu. No. And do you know what I remember us saying? Like, Tastes like washing up liquid. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I can always notice. I mean, we've tried things like sulfite-free wine. Yeah. And obviously, uh, biodynamic wine is done through natural processes. Mm-hmm. And usually, there's some sulf- sulfites in there naturally, I think, in wine processing. But there's a lot added. And yeah. sulfites, you can be tested. Um, we did the MRT test. And uh, sulfites was on mine as a, something that I definitely have an immune response to. Right. So I should avoid wine and um, dried fruits as another... Um, and another source of sulfites. So the other thing with the dairy was then he talked about, do you remember the A2 and the A1 cows? Yeah. Um, and he just talked about the history of it was when we first consumed milk. Um, you know, he said very few populations do well on milk. And he mentioned people like the Maasai tribes who yeah. drink that, you know. But again, genetically, they're probably slightly more designed to have that. When we had our genetic test done, we didn't have the, the lactase uh, mm-hmm. persistence. So we wouldn't do that well on dairy. And he mentioned that um, the so the A2 cows were the Guernsey cows, which was what the cows that we first would drink milk yeah. from. And then it was something to do with the low fats. It was it was a low fat revolution that meant they a lot of farmers switched to A1 cows because they were able to produce low fat milk. And this is the one that has higher levels of casein in, which is the protein that causes so many allergic reactions. Wow. So it's the way that we're processing the food now that means we can't live like Jesus as much as we'd like to. <laughs> um, anyway, I just totally respected that guy for asking that question. The thing is, like, how, how do we know that Jesus was this lean, <laughs> yeah. you know, Adonis that we kind of like vision? I think they had like... Um... He might have had psoriasis, <laughs> yeah. you know, massive bloating, bit of acne. You know, we don't know. There is always that thing I was saying to you when you do meet these... Um, people as well who stand up and talk at these crowd, at these events and conferences I always the first thing I do is like look at their skin and I'm like mm, do you really know what you're talking about so yeah it'd be interesting if, if there was the equivalent of what, what do we have today where you um um you know what's it called um oh god memory I'm gonna cover Alzheimer's next yeah. as well how ironic <laughs> um, what's it called when you have images of women that are um doctored in magazines the word has gone from my Photoshop. head. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what? how you Photoshop images. Maybe Jesus went out there and said to all the people writing the scriptures, this is how yeah. I want to look. This, yeah. is, this is how Just, you'll depict me. In <laughs> I want to be sub-10% body fat. Yeah. Make sure my beard looks well-maintained. Draw those abs in. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we should probably move on to um, Alzheimer's because there was an amazing um, presentation done 
uh, by Patrick Holford. So he's quite a, a famous nutritionist, has some amazing books out there. First time I've heard him speak, actually. And what was his skin like? He looks very healthy, although instantly, incidentally, he's grown his hair, so he looks a bit hippie-ish. He's but got a beard. No, he hasn't got a beard. Ah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not going for the Jesus look. I was going to say, look, could this be a, Actually, a before... reincarnation? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get people off the bread and wine. Um, anyway, no, I've just remembered, I'm going to go back. One last thing to talk about um, gut infections before we move on to Alzheimer's was there was... Um, some talk about um, clostridia which was the bacterial infection I mentioned before and basically um, what's remarkable about clostridia I'm just going to go back a page is it has a massive impact on how the body converts dopamine into um, adrenaline Mm -hmm. and what it does is there's an enzyme which um, an enzyme is a um, think of it as a component it's something in the body which will is necessary for a reaction a chemical reaction to happen if you remember that from your chemistry days I don't know why I'm asking you, because last time I asked you something about chemistry, you went, I don't remember anything from my chemistry days. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember that, that an enzyme is necessary. to It's a, it's a cofactor in a biochemical reaction. So um, in the body, we have um, dopamine, which is a, a brain chemical, and we have adrenaline, and dopamine is converted into adrenaline via this enzyme. And what clostridia, um, this bacterial infection, can do is um, inhibit this enzyme Mm -hmm. which is necessary so it doesn't it means the enzyme can't work anymore and so what we end up with is massive levels of dopamine and then it not being converted into the necessary noradrenaline adrenaline Mm -hmm. and that is associated with various um, behavioral disorders in children so the things like the attention deficit disorder and um, all the autism and things like that Mm -hmm. is the higher levels of dopamine yeah and really interestingly um, I'm just going to go back to my notes on this um, but it was also associated with Parkinson's. Um, now, Parkinson's, if you um, know much about it, is where people are actually given dopamine medication because their levels are so low. And what was suggested in this talk was that um, when we've got too higher levels of anything in the body, our body will naturally respond by down-regulating production. So right. if we have... Um, um, way too much um, I'm trying to think of, of something like if we have too high levels of um, something like stress hormones your body will start to maybe the feedback to the brain will be you've got way too many stress hormones here so stop producing so many naturally and that's how sometimes we can end up with these hormone deficiencies it's quite similar to um, when people supplement with like testosterone boosters isn't it yeah absolutely so the body will yeah. yeah completely and that's what that's one of the flaws of hormone replacement therapy is if you it is really we should be looking at the root cause of the hormone hormone um dysfunction rather than supplementing because that will maybe further down regulate the body's own production and it's possible that that with parkinson's um so the clostridia infection caused um really high levels of dopamine um and then that fed back to the body there was way too much dopamine so the body down regulated or it can almost kill off the the dopamine producing cells yeah and then what we do is go in and give levodopa which was the um medical the you know that's the medical solution was to give dopamine because there's a deficiency um and so it sort of becomes this vicious cycle yeah and uh, what he mentioned was if you had the early signs of Parkinson's, if you went and got tested for um, Clostridia bacteria, you could possibly stop it in its tracks. Um, wow. With you know, you may need a combination of a, you know, I certainly don't know enough about this. You may need a combination what of are medication the early signs and of Parkinson's. Though? Um, I think it's the uh, it's the um, twitching, isn't it? The twitching. The, yeah. Wow. So um, if that's something that, and and again, and I'd imagine 
going for if you, if if you're suspecting that and going for the test, I just think if you if you could get yourself tested for that bacteria, I don't know whether a GP would offer it. And I'm, as I said, I think the solution may even be at that point that you probably have to have some form of medication because maybe the body's destroyed the cells that right. um, would produce dopamine. So again, this is not my uh, area of expertise, but I just thought, God, there's just some some major things here, like that people could do mm. or mention to friends or family that are in the early stages of these conditions. Um, but, but do you not think it's like, um, I don't know, like when, because I always find talking about this stuff like really like a little bit emotional, really, like not not in that I'm going to start bawling my eyes out, but I mean it's obviously this is a big deal, right? You know, like things like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, all of these, you know, like, yeah. you know, these are serious, you know, serious diseases and illnesses that don't, don't just affect the person that's got it. You know, it affects everyone. Everybody around, around them. them. Yeah. And Perhaps more so in some cases. Well, well yeah, yeah. yeah, but it probably does, yeah. you know, and, and I just think, gosh, like there's so much out there now to kind of suggest that, you know, I know life is for living. It totally is. And it's so it should be, but then, I think you just always need to look at the bigger picture and think there's so much you can do now that will ensure that your future is brighter, healthier and happier for yourself and your family. And sorry to kind of go off on a bit of a like a like a serious twist, if you like, but it just really gets me thinking because. I'm not going off track here. We'll no, come no, back. No, we'll come no, back. No, it's, but, it's all, it's all, I think it's really important. But I remember when, like my my granddad passed away. You know, he like, he passed away as far as I knew, like a, a somewhat healthy-ish old man. Like he had, he, he, I mean, I say healthy. He was diabetic, but that was somewhat under control. And you know, and he had like usual kind of old man problems. You know, a bit of joint ache and pain and whatnot. But you know, my granddad was completely with it till the day that he went. You know what I mean? I could have a. Com- perfectly normal conversation with him we used to play fire you know whatever even his old in his old age and then i remember speaking to a best mate of mine who when his granddad passed away he he completely lost the plot he didn't know who anybody was he thought that people were trying to attack him all the time like but you know his, his relatives his, his children his yeah. grandchildren and i thought god like i probably would would rather my granddad not be here than be like that yeah because it would break my heart absolutely yeah you and see it a lot, don't you, nowadays? And I think, imagine, I always think partners, it must be it's just incredibly difficult. And, you know, you know to see oh, God, yeah. see the person you love disappear but still be with you. You're kind of there but not there. Yeah, so yeah. just the shell is there, yeah. but the, them has gone. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like you say, that would just be devastating. Well, this, it's one of the reasons I get quite angry <laughs> with them. Um, not, you know, I get angry. Initially, when I was studying all this stuff, I'd get angry at people that I love that didn't listen to me because I'd yeah. be like, this is so important. And, you know, I want you around for for as long as possible in my life, happy and healthy, um, to the point where I shout at people. <laughs> because, Probably cause chronic stress yeah, to people. <laughs> I do stress wonder. Stress is a killer, you know. In, interestingly, because um, I was on courses last week, I stayed with my mum and dad. And uh, every day my mum was insisting on cooking for me. She cooks wonderful, healthy food. She does. Quick, this is a massive aside, but one thing that she was doing, which was really nice, was the uh, baked tomato salmon from our Fitter Food recipe book. Yeah. That's her recipe, and she makes it, she calls it passata salmon, because it's just a tomato-based sauce. And um, she changes it every time she makes it. Sometimes she adds, adds sort of curry powder and spices, and then sometimes it's more of a Mediterranean garlic and herbs. And, and uh, what she kept doing was just 
um, making that at night and then she'd make loads of the sauce and we'd have it with like cod or something and then the next night I came home and she's like I took the rest of the sauce and this time I've added this this powder and this this spice and everything and it's the same thing but tasted totally different she and she's like out. I put different fish in it and the next night and it was just a really great way of you think of people are always like oh what can I have for dinner and she made it last for several meals and, and me and my dad had it for lunch the next day and stuff and just stuck some roasted um, squash in it it was amazing but where I was going with that was every night I came home and because um, the courses are in London and there's loads of amazing health food shops, Planet Organic Whole Foods, so I'd come home and it was like, oh, I've bought you some sauerkraut and brought you this book on. I brought them the, the Patrick Whole Food book on preventing Alzheimer's and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I brought you some coconut manna and mum had a cold and I was like, I brought you this, um, uh, like a natural, she wanted a Vicks. She said, oh, I need some Vicks vapor rub or something. She had a chesty um, sort of, uh, congestion and I brought the herbal alternative of a what's the the thing you stick up your nose the decongestant you know the, the I like the Vicks Vicks inhalers yeah yeah so you can get herbal ones of those now um, with peppermint oil and eucalyptus and stuff so you know when I, when I was younger if I ever wanted to get off of school I used to take the menthol stick out of the Vicks nasal inhalers and I used to rub it under my eyes because it makes your eyes like stream so, so I pretend I was like <laughs> Really ill, That's but obviously so it, was like, it was like uncontrollable tears because it stung so much. <laughs> I was just like, I don't feel well. A couple of days off school, job done. At least parents now, you might might be wise to that. Thanks. Yeah, to you. there you if go. If any kids are trying that on, just just get a little bit closer. And if you can smell <laughs> menthol, you, <laughs> you, you know, know what they're you up know, to. You know what they're, pu- they're pulling a fast one. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that was sort of my way is I just buy presents for people that I love that are of, of a healthy nature. But um, moving on to Alzheimer's because it's quite a a good link. Um, very sadly, my granddad has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so I know it's something that my mum is concerned about, and mm-hmm. you know there's potential that we have a you know a genetic predisposition yeah. to this. But what was really interesting about Patrick Holford, um, so he talked a lot about Alzheimer's prevention, wow. um, and as I said, he's got a book, and um, I should be on commission. Uh, <laughs> he has a, he's got a book which I brought for my mum, but just some interesting facts are about Alzheimer's is. Um, I actually went to, um, again, like a, a cadaver dissection on the brain with a surgeon, which is a, a dead body, at, you know, and, and you go and... I should hope it is a bloody dead body. <laughs> yeah, and he, he said the same thing. Once once those plaques, so with Alzheimer's you get these plaques um, forming in the brain, which is, is, is sort of causing um, shrinkage of the areas that we would use, and um, it's, it's thought that it's... Well, it's known that that's irreversible once that process starts. Um, but what he did say was uh, that prevention was the measure that we should all be looking at. Yeah. Um, so rather than seeing it as a, oh, it's a foregone conclusion, and also t- sort of stopping it progressing. Yeah, So I was once say, the plaques yeah. start... He talks a bit about dementia generally and, and Alzheimer's are two completely different things. Um, so with dementia, we get uh, the brain shrinks by about half a, half a percent a year. But when you have Alzheimer's, it's more like two and a half percent wow. a year. So it's, um, what is that, four or five times? I can't do the math. It's uh, more. <laughs> it's more than that. Um, and in terms of genes, they've identified that you can have a gene, um, a, you know, a gene that was, would lead can cause alzheimer's but um he listed the big three and said that they cause about one percent of all the cases right, okay and um, there were some other things um other genes that may account for um you inheriting um alzheimer's but he said that i think i'll read this out actually gene studies suggest that in total it can account for a third of one's inherited risk or predisposition in other words you can have all the wrong genes you could be 33 percent more likely to get it with all the wrong genes so it's but so it's not it's only part of the picture it's not you know oh i'm definitely you know genetically is the reason that you get it and what was really profound was this idea that these plaques are forming in the brain 
um, is the way that the medical world has viewed Alzheimer's. And so um, a lot of the medication is about preventing the progression of these plaques and stopping these proteins from forming in them. Now, what uh, Patrick Holford talked about was that these plaques are actually your body trying to protect you. Right. They are actually an immune response to lower inflammation in the brain, Right. Okay. Uh, which is amazing. So here we go again with medication that we think we're sort of attacking the wrong bit of the disease process if that makes sense yeah yeah so so the yeah so basically drug companies pharmaceuticals have gone in and said let's stop those plaques being presented that's your body trying to save you so what is leading to the formation of those plaques is where we should really be looking and one thing that he mentioned was something that's really important that you should you should get measured probably from about the age of 50 onwards is homocysteine um homocysteine is something that results um Again, it's a, a product that comes about from a series of metabolic or chemical reactions that happen mm-hmm. in the body. Um, and this is all going to get a bit complicated, but we have talked before on the podcast about the methylation cycle. So again, this is a chemical reaction that takes place in a cell, and it happens because um, basically to help. It happens because it's part of detoxification in a cell, energy production, um, inflammation, lowering inflammation. So it's yeah. part of the immune cycle that takes place in a cell. So it's, it's responsible for lots of different bodily functions, and it happens billions of times a second in every cell in your body yeah and this methylation cycle can go wrong because it um basically part of it is the production of homocysteine Mm -hmm. uh, or homocysteine is like a i suppose a i won't say a byproduct but it's a step in the cycle and basically um homocysteine is then recycled back into i think it's methionine i need to double check my chemistry there but it's recycled back into methionine um in a healthy cycle so we don't mm-hmm. get too much homocysteine in the body. But for this to happen, we need B6, B12 and folate, essentially. So there's a massive, massive... I've lost the word. This is such a sign of um, adrenal fatigue. Um, there's a massive call for looking at... And there are some studies looking at B vitamins in the treatment of dementia and Alzheimer's and slowing down the progression. Right. Um, not much is being done there because, guess... Money? Yeah, there's no money in it, so... Um, and another really important point that was made was um, B vitamins are needed in their active form in this cycle. And do you remember, um, it's thought that about 50% of the population don't convert um, folic acid into folate very well. So it's the folate form of folinic acid that we need for this cycle to happen effectively. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to supplement with B vitamins um, at any point, look for the active form. So it's um, folate, folate or um, MTHFR, it'll be labelled on your supplements. Yeah. Um, I know Nutri-Advance have a range of, of B vitamins in their active form, and uh, Solgar now do as well. Right. And um, if you're supplementing with B6, you want it as pyridoxal 5-phosphate. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking, because I think you're like, oh, we've taken all these, because at one point... Yeah. <laughs> do you know... Uh, they all ring a bell. Yeah, B6 was recommended when you had your candida infection, because um, candida produces um, a toxin which basically um, utilises or, or, or sort of completely depletes you of all your B6 and its detoxification in the body. Right. So if you do have something like um, candida thrush infection, taking pyridoxal 5-phosphate or B6 in its active form can be really helpful. And B12 is uh, methylcobalamine um, in its active form. So looking for a, a really good B vitamin. So what Patrick Holford suggested was, I'll go through his, his Alzheimer prevention measures, which were really interesting, um, but one thing that you could do is, from the age of 50, is do, um, I'll get the name of the test, he's actually, he's, he's launched a charity, he's very passionate about this, which I actually, I love to see in people, um, I'll get the name of his test in a second, I want to make sure I reference it right. Just looking through the... Uh... 
Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> so he has got, uh, it's just called the Alzheimer's Prevention, hang on, test, I think. And uh, the, oh no, so it's a cognitive function test that he has on www.foodforthebrain.org, which is his charity. And so he said, from the age of 50, do this test. And if your scores are declining, you should go and get your homocysteine tested. Right. If your homocysteine is elevated, then we know we're going to get inflammation and possibly inflammation of the brain. So start to take B vitamins. But who, um, who are you recommending? Like, I mean, you wouldn't recommend someone like myself just goes out there and has this. Maybe. Test. <laughs> no. I think I should after, after my appalling recall of very obvious words like Photoshop. Yeah, but your, 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 your brain is like, you know, jam-packed with knowledge. Whereas mine has quite a lot of spare space <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be filled. Um, do you know what was really interesting was because there were so many links between um, gut issues and inflammation and attention span, and it made me laugh. Why did you look at me when you said that? Well, because your attention span is terrible. What? And our, our social media digital manager, Lynn Peachy, who's um, becoming very much part of Fit London and has the joy of working with you. Uh, sorry, Fit Food, yeah. And Fit London. And Fit London. Uh, has the joy of working with you, has, has noticed, along with me, that your attention span is, is very short. So basically what you're saying is, what they do is they gang up on me <laughs> when we have our team meetings. It's like, let's just gang up on Matt. Because one minute you're on your laptop, then you're on Twitter, then you're on Facebook, then you're looking at the telly, then you're reading something, then you've got an idea, then you go back to Facebook, and you're, you're like a... But you're implying I don't do any work. No, you do. You <laughs> spaces. I like to do it like, it's like a... It's like hit In, training. Interval work. <laughs> I do like a, a brief burst. <laughs> Days off, brief burst. Yeah, so maybe not, not you, but definitely... Well, anyone over the age the, of 50... To be fair, um, in all jokes aside, like... You are right, like I am. To be fair, you could have your homocysteine tested. Anyone could have their homocysteine tested, and if it was elevated, then you could start taking B vitamins and some other things I'm going to mention in a second. But, but, but at this age, like, do, you, do you really want to plant that seed, you know what I mean? Because like, people can become quite obsessive over this kind of stuff. No, no, so I wouldn't get you doing cognitive function tests. From the age of 50, I think that would be really helpful. That's when they're saying that these the decline can start. Um, I actually think he said it can start from the age of 16, but I wouldn't do that now. What I would do at our age is really focus on, on the prevention measures, which I'll mention in a second, and looking after your gut, because obviously you don't want to get these infections and mm. things and, and other inflammatory... Um, oh, I must admit, I do notice that... I've maybe had a, a binge, should we say, or I've maybe not made as good a food choice as I normally do. Eating ice cream. I do experience like a bit of a, don't laugh, like a, a lacking brain function. Like the next day, I feel really like trying to just remember in like really simple yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. They're oh, kind and like I forget, brain fog, and, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And it's, and it's, and, and I'm always like, God, like. That's because you fed the hyphae. And the high fae have gone all over your body <laughs> and they're poking through your brain. And <laughs> like... It's only about the time for I grow a horn. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is when we start, like, we're talking about this now, but sometimes when I get really angry at you, if you've eaten sugar and you've seen a flare up of your skin, I'm just, I will shout at you and I? I go, that's just the Canada just punching through your gut wall and just destroying your body. I get really dramatic she about a, it. It's a bit irate. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible girlfriend. Um, okay, preventative measures. So um, there are some lifestyle stuff, which I'll mention in a second, but other food uh, foods that you could really focus on, which could help in terms of supporting this um, methylation cycle in the body and making sure we don't get those high levels of homocysteine, is um, phosphatidylcholine, mm-hmm. which is in, think of a food, which could make you really intelligent, full of choline. Eggs? 
Absolutely. Especially the yolks. So oh, I do like a yolk. A couple of egg yolks a day. And um, again, the generations that are now suffering from many of these um, issues with dementia and Alzheimer's and um, other sort of, um, you know, mental function have been told to avoid fat, you know, for years. And uh, it, to, it's having a huge detrimental effect. Um, but especially where, where the brain is concerned. And another good source would be liver. So, again, if you think your granddad used to love his liver and eggs in the morning, didn't he? So, um, go back to eating liver and eggs. Try and make sure the liver is from a grass-fed animal where possible so Mm. it's not got fatty liver disease when it dies. Um, And with the eggs, there's quite a a lot of people who take them raw. (coughs) So, literally crack it into your hand, let the white fall through and just just take it. Well, we often uh, mix them into our smoothies, don't we? Absolutely, yeah. That's another really easy way to stick them into a smoothie. And I just have to say, we um, up here in Stratford-upon-Avon, where we are now uh, living, um, beautiful place, beautiful part of the country, we found this awesome farm, haven't we? Yeah. What's it called again? Uh, Is it Talbot? Talbot, Talbot Mill, isn't it? Yeah. Talbot, Talbot Mill Farm. Can't believe you didn't remember um, that. I know, <laughs> um, it, It's literally like like the, the eggs are, like you can see where the chickens are roaming. Like, and, and, when it, and when we say free range, this is free range. Um, you know, pasture-fed chickens. And it, it's quite bizarre because you can see the chickens from where you're purchasing the eggs. <laughs> and it's like you can't really get much fresher. And the eggs are incredible, aren't they? Yeah, they're really like the, orange. The yolks are really dark orange colour and the flavour is just phenomenal, isn't it? That is a sign that your chicken is fed the the you know the right more, more pasture fed, more should be natural fed. is the, the bright orange yolk rather than the, the very pale yellow, so, which would mean it's probably more corn cereal yeah. fed. Um, so do try and source some really top dollar eggs because and to be fair, they're bloody cheap. Because yeah, we're getting, yeah, we're buying direct from the producer. Yeah. You know, like, so if you can do a little bit of scouting around for like local farm shops, etc. Um, I'm trying to convince him to do mail order stuff. Yeah. So that's what we're working on. <laughs> us. He probably um, doesn't know this yet. <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to obviously uh, branch out. But yeah, that that is really, really important. And I mean, there is a thing with eggs that, um, I th- I think generally the thought is that um, the the mother protects the the baby from a lot of toxins and things. So you know if you couldn't get, I'd rather you eat eggs than than didn't eat eggs. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. What I mean, so if it's yeah. going to be a supermarket egg, and I know there's now um, sometimes they're supplemented with omega threes, which would be better than just um, a supermarket egg that's going to be fed cereal. So it'd be higher in omega six. Yeah. So, in fact, one of the things that is coming out with all the children's behavioural disorders is the importance of omega-3s is massive, and that's why you're seeing the food industry put it in milk, butter, cereal, frosties. have now got vitamin D and omega-3 in, I think, as well. So, And it's usually in a form that's not bioavailable or absorbable to the body, so it's not a form. It's never going to be a source that I would recommend uh, people use. Um, But just quickly back to the... um, uh, the preventative measures for Alzheimer's was um, in terms of lowering your homocysteine, eating more greens, nuts, seeds, um, and the high folate foods. So that's a, you know your broccoli and and things. Um, it, by the way, an egg as well is a multivitamin. It pretty much has everything going. Yeah. So a couple of egg- in a shell, yeah. as you normally call it. A couple of um, egg yolks a day would keep the doctor away. Um, eat more fish, uh, which we go on about all the time for omega threes, and also um, actually white fish was mentioned as a really good source of B twelve. And I did think of your stepdad because he's such a I'm not eating fish, but yeah. he would eat um, haddock. 
quite like smoked haddock, yeah. which, you know, um, if that's the only fish you're going to get into them, then at least smoked haddock is, um, again, you can get really naturally, more naturally smoked now. And I think they colour it with turmeric. So it's not the, the, the sort of, it's not got the food addi- additives in it. So that's a great one for people who don't like the oily fish. Yeah. Coffee had a very negative effect on homocysteine. No, I'm I, sorry I, where, to say, Matt. Where's the science? <laughs> Show me science. Okay. <laughs> a study by Dr. Verhoff and Co. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, trying to malfunction with our laptop there. In the Netherlands, <laughs> showed that two cups of regular coffee increased homocysteine by eleven percent after only four hours. That's only eleven percent. So, although there are, like, yeah, okay. I get that back down. Uh, just take your B vitamins after your coffee. Um, there you go. That's a new business idea. Yeah. Vitamin B infused coffee. coffee. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, but then there are studies showing that it helps with cognitive function. So I think my take would be why don't you just have one cup? Because the studies were looking at two and four cups. So just have one cup and you I go. think you'd be fine. Or one, one and three quarters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then you haven't, had, you haven't had two cups. Limit alcohol, reduce stress, um, stop smoking, and then use your homocysteine lowering nutrients. And Is- so. A homocysteine lowering nutrients, I'll just say this and then you can tell me what you're going to say, uh, was things like the phospholipids, so that's your fish and your eggs, omega-3s, so oily fish. Um, he mentioned flax and chia, but the conversion from those is so low. Right. I would never rely on flax and chia and walnuts for omega-3s. Yeah, I'd always go geez. to fish or if you can't, um, and grass-fed meat. And if you don't eat a lot of fish, I would use a fish oil supplement. And it's the DHA component, as we've mentioned before with MMI Hill, that's really important um, yeah. with the brain so one of the highest brands was um and again i think emma mentioned was more epa prenatal dha as a as a capsule but i was going to say like because a lot of people do who do claim they don't like oily fish once they've actually played around with a few recipes such as the tomato baked salmon yeah putting a sauce on it yeah or um like when we've done our um like our fish pie yeah you know, it's just a great got, way you know, of like putting in, coconut milk and sweet potato. Yeah. And um, I tell you what, we've had most success is our Thai Amiga balls, where you yeah. get so tin salmon and sardines, like wild salmon and sardines, are probably my preferred source of omega threes because they're going to be low in toxins from the sea. Yeah. Um, and you generally eat the bones with those and the skin, which are an amazing source of obviously calcium, magnesium, phosphorus for the bones. The skin of salmon and the skin of the sardines is really high in glycine, which is also important for the methylation cycle and detoxification. Yeah. So it would help with your homocysteine. And um, which is why we came up with the, the recipe with Omega Balls was literally just roll in crushed salmon or you could do, you could mix in tin sardines with uh, desiccated coconut. It's on our website, um, bitterlondon.co.uk, um, desiccated coconut and things like lemon juice, apple cider vinegar to take away the fishy taste. You could use, um, we, I think we use things like, um, <laughs> we actually put fish sauce in to make it salty. So it takes away the fishy yeah. taste in a way ironically um and roll them into balls with an egg and bake it in the oven and you could do them as snack balls or as burgers and so many people who hate fish have managed to eat those um you could dip them in homemade mayonnaise or um something else as well just to again just really take away that fish taste um but yeah and i think the more you start to eat it in recipes that you like you'll get that association of oh well it's with coconut milk which i enjoy so i'll start to like the fish there's been studies shown that eat it with something that you love and you'll start to like it yeah no but that makes sense uh, just other things I suppose to mention. And um, by the way, so eating fish once a week reduces your risk of developing Alzheimer's by sixty percent. Wow, that's big. So, um, <laughs> uh, vitamin D um, is also really important, and I would suggest 
everybody. We mentioned it with um, on our podcast with Paul Jamney. Just get tested if you can. GPs will offer it. Um, now, some people, like you and I, when we had our DNA um, diet test on, um, have a genetic disposition to low vitamin D, and it's associated with everything from, I think I've mentioned it before, at college they used to tell us vitamin D, remember, depression, death, um, I can't remember them all, I've forgotten them already, but it was really everything, you know, immune suppression, so it's, it's linked to cancer and wow. um, heart disease, um, hormone dysfunction. Do you think episode um, 38 should be super positive bubbly episode <laughs> talking about happy things happy positive things, things. <laughs> death depression disease um okay so that was the alzheimer's prevention plan so the main things are now this is something i put on i put on facebook is flavonoid rich foods are really important so we've got those antioxidants um so there was some tests done on flavonoid rich foods are things like tea for example in our book we've got a whole chapter on on antioxidant rich foods tea um coffee chocolate um red wine things like that yeah so and we blogged about this a little bit because i was saying that it's all very well knowing these foods are healthy but the the dose is still really relevant and the quality and the quality is very relevant absolutely um i'm trying to think what the blog was on memory um (laughs) (laughs) um uh Anyway, so the tests that were done showed that in terms of helping with cognitive function, this is one that looked at tea, chocolate and wine, that with tea, uh, basically, uh, you can increase the dose of tea and cognitive function continues to increase. So there's a great argument for having lots of tea throughout the day. Right. Generally, it's, it's, it's a good black tea and it's a good green tea. Yeah. And I always say try and make them organic because if you're going for antioxidants, um, there is... Um, Firstly, you don't want it packed with chemicals and pesticides and fertilisers. And there's this belief that if these foods are allow, allowed to grow naturally, their antioxidant levels are higher because there's more of a need to protect yeah. themselves, which makes absolute sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, chocolate, sadly, the effect plateaued at three squares. So after that, you're getting no benefit cognitive-wise. And red wine, it was... Uh, or I think it was just general wine. It wasn't uh, red or white, didn't really specify it. Wine, it was 125 mils, which is the smallest serving of... Um, a smallest glass a day um so one of those a day might just help keep alzheimer's away <laughs> and exercise was up there as well so regular exercise was really important um and i think that was everything that he covered one thing that was uh, the last bit i know we've been going for quite a while now but that was really interesting was um they broke off halfway through the day so i've only even covered the first two presentations and i still haven't even really covered most of the stuff that they mentioned so there's a lot lot of information i suppose we should do another podcast that's another episode yeah but one thing that i I said to you was really interesting was they broke off halfway through um and this is a um some there were most of them were gps or, or doctors that were talking that were now involved in research um working with laboratories and there was a presentation on vaccinations and uh gps prescribing medication and there was a lot of evidence about the fact that a lot of these vaccinations, and this is quite relevant because this morning there was an announcement that some sort of duck flu has broken out. Um, obviously, we've got Ebola, which is scaring the population at the yeah. moment. Um, there's a lot of talk about getting vaccinated um, you know, very, very quickly against these diseases. Um, but there's also some discussion about the effects of these vaccinations. They don't have much time to test them. Yeah. And whacking these huge amounts of, of you know, sort of treated diseases into the body. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we're doing multiple ones at the same time. So for some kids, we get these vaccinations, which are several treated diseases in one go, which can be quite a shock to a child's immune system. Mm-hmm. And there is a big, big theory that there's some links between 
um, autism and behavioural disorders because of the effect these vaccinations and some of the ingredients in the vaccinations might have on a child whose immune system is still building, yeah. essentially. It's a really controversial issue, and I know Chris Cresser has spoken quite a lot about it. I'm a sure, I'm pretty sure Emma Myhill is going to talk to us a lot about it. Obviously, now she's about to go through the process of having a baby. Yeah. She's going to be offered injections from the minute that baby is born, and almost coerced slightly and emotionally into doing it because there's a lot of talk you know a lot of people have mentioned that there's this this sense of guilt that's put on you if Mm -hmm. you don't give your child these vaccinations um you know and they do actually you know become very sick with any of these diseases it was your fault um possibly you know the, the you know and there could be consequences for that but what i would suggest all parents do is really start to educate themselves about this so chris cresser has his healthy baby code where he talks about all the vaccinations and why he only went for one of them right um there is also a um there's an online parents group i meant to look up the um just bear with me a second called jabs um that was mentioned at the meeting where you can go and read up there is a doctor and i meant to get her name just before i came onto the podcast and i've forgotten but I, i'll probably put it in the next podcast if i can um who's done a lot of work um on this bear with me a second um but it sort of led to a big discussion about something which i didn't know which was well i did know sort of but um a lot of doctor surgeries are now um i suppose i don't even want to use the word rewarded but they are rewarded financially for diagnosing dementia um diabetes and other chronic diseases because then there is the uh, prescribing of medication and Mm -hmm. they're rewarded for that so i think they're given something like 55 pounds for every time they spot dementia and then prescribe dementia drugs right which um you know you could hear gasps in the room from from people that didn't know this and every surgery apparently has a, a target to reach um to financially reach through the prescribing of drugs. So, um, and the doctor who was actually speaking about this talked about how he feels that GPs have simply become um, sort of just drug prescribing renegades was the word he used. Um, and actually there was quite a lot of doctors in the wow. conference. Um, so, sure that went down like a load balloon. Well, it did, but what was really interesting was one of them stood up and gave her, gave a GP's perspective, which was really important, actually, because it completely changed. We were all ready to walk away and go, never trust a doctor. <laughs> she was saying she has 10 minutes to treat somebody, generally, and she said that, that actually patients are very bad at coming in and wanting medication, so demanding medication. And she said in some instances you can see that you have no time in 10 minutes to talk about lifestyle, to talk about food, to look at, to really look at a health history like a nutritionist would do. Um, And sometimes you can see that actually in this case, giving them or prescribing the drug is probably going to be their best chance in her eyes of of what she could do. I mean, a lot of them were there because they wanted to offer more health, more advice, sorry, on nutrition. But so, so the problem is almost, it's, it's just this vicious cycle that's happened between um, us as patients wanting drugs and quick fixes to get yeah. rid of our rashes and our pains and aches and stuff and not really wanting to pay attention to what we could do in the bigger picture the government in terms of its role in education this is where it needs to come from um, and I think but actually some sort of referral scheme where NHS is paying for people to see nutritionists you know yeah. or, or people to go into the workplace and talk about nutrition and lifestyle habits and educate people about cooking and the importance of all the stuff you know there's so much work to do and we're sort of trapped in this cycle. And as much as we'd like to blame GPs, I sort of walked away and thought, you can't really. Yeah. In the, um, and, and what he actually, he then sort of went back on his word and said, no, 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 there are some brilliant GPs. The fact that you're all here is amazing. You know, on, on a weekend when they're already working, 
um, I don't know, I think they do like 60-hour weeks or something yeah. now. Um, and he said, the fact that you're all here is amazing. Um, and she was saying that actually she works for that target because it makes her practice better. Because if they have more money, they can employ more staff, they can be more yeah. effective, they can administer everything more effectively. Um, she's like, so she was saying, we need that money, but it doesn't mean that we go out there and run our practice to get that money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. how it's... But, but who thought of, of funding surgeries on the back of prescribing medication is yeah. absolutely like i don't know insane well they just like that's obviously going to breed you know that that idea of of, of more medication and, and, yeah, and yeah. not actually trying to treat the root cause but so it's very sad but very interesting all the same um we've been going for over an hour and i might be boring you now so maybe we Never. should do the next half Never. in in the next um in next the next episode. episode yeah so finish up there people might be zoning out as well that thing daft. what i was going to say was the one thing i'd noticed that i think it's not a sign of any um you know like aging disease necessarily but we've both noticed this in parents and parents friends and older older acquaintances is that thing where people glaze over and start looking out the window when you're talking to them <laughs> and it could be that maybe me and you just waffle on about uninteresting maybe we're things. just boring but i honestly see that happening more and more in people and think that they need to yeah. go and get their gut tested and look at inflammatory <laughs> markers and take B vitamins. <laughs> so, I wonder how many people can relate to that. And you're doing it now, so I'm going to go and make, no, you, I'm not. <laughs> make you a massive smoothie with coconut oil and egg yolks in. And <laughs> that sounds quite nice, actually. I won't, I won't say Wax no. some B vitamins down you. Well, uh, but yeah, so let's let's call it a day there. Kerry, so I have to say, your brain never ceases to amaze me i was i'm shocked actually that there's some key things i couldn't remember there and i think i need to go and eat some egg yolks don't be that honestly like you're not only stunningly gorgeous with an absolutely cracking bottom you've just got <laughs> the most amazing brain bless you and on that note <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna say yeah, tara and uh, we will see you in episode number 38 yeah let's try and get 40 done by the end of the year Yes, let's. <laughs> Bye, folks. Bye.